Oh, Father God, uh, you alone are worthy of our praise. You are a great God, an awesome God, a saving God. Uh, we thank you for your word that reveals your great plan of salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus. Please soften our hearts to hear your word now as it's read and preached, and please continue your uh, life-changing, life-giving, transforming work in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Parable of the Lost Son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his, fingers, on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, 
because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, well, it's been a big week for losing things. Uh, you might have heard about this. Uh, anyone know this story? Yeah, it's uh, this tiny radioactive capsule lost in the outback of Western Australia, and there's a huge search ensued. They said it's like finding a needle in a haystack. I want to know what the backroom conversations were like. <laughs> like, uh, I've lost something on the way. It's very small, but very deadly. Uh, you get a horrible feeling, don't you, when you lose something really important? Um, a horrible feeling. Uh, sometimes, though, it's people who get lost, right? Uh, maybe you've been lost. And it's heartbreaking when that happens. Every time, every time you hear about a missing person on the news... You know, that feeling of being lost or of losing someone, it's, it's gut-wrenching, isn't it? Well, friends, we're looking at probably, I, said, pro- I think I said this last week, or two weeks ago, but probably this is the most famous story Jesus ever told. Um, it's one of three stories he tells at the same time, and they're all about being lost and found. They're all about being lost and found. Uh, you can read them in one of Jesus' biographies, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, that's where this comes from. Uh, But at the start of the chapter, you find out there's two groups that Jesus is talking to. So he's talking to these two different groups. First one, you can see there, there's the tax collectors and sinners. They're all gathering around to hear Jesus. So those guys, they're the the rebels of society. They're the outcasts, and they flock to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They flock to, they love being with him, and he loves being with them. Uh, But there's another group here in verse 2. Keep reading on. There's these guys, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the religious leaders, the upstanding citizens, the moral people who kind of know that they're better than everyone else. And they cannot believe that Jesus is hanging out with this other crowd. So you get the picture, there's these two crowds. The Pharisees and religious leaders can't believe Jesus is with these other guys. They're muttering about him in verse 2 there. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They say it as if it's an insult. Uh, But for Jesus, that's exactly right. In in other words, they're saying, Jesus, if you're so great, why are you hanging out with this bunch of lost outcasts? And Jesus tells these parables in response to that, in response to that. Um, And they're all, as I said, they're all about being lost and being found. So the first one, we're not going to look at it today, but the first one tells about a shepherd who loses his sheep and goes after it. The second one tells about a woman who loses this valuable coin and searches for it. And at the end of both, when, once the thing is found, everyone celebrates and they throw a huge party. Uh, the, this is the third and the longest one we're looking at today. And it's not just a sheep or a coin who goes missing, who's lost. It's a person but he's, he's surprisingly lost. It's a little bit surprising that this guy is lost. So let's pick it up from verse 11. It'll be on the screen. If you have Bibles in front of you, you can look at them too. But verse 11 says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now I reckon it's easy for us to miss the shock of what's going on here. See what's happening? The the younger son asks his dad for his inheritance while his dad's still alive. The whole point of an inheritance is that you get it when your parents die, not when they're still alive, right? So in effect, this younger son's saying, Dad, I just want your stuff. I don't want you. 
I'm not interested in a relationship with you. He's, actually, he's basically saying, Dad, you're dead to me. In a way, I wish you were dead. It's this massive insult to his father. Massive insult, especially in that honour and shame kind of culture that this was in, but it'd be the same today. And I reckon the first big surprise here is that the father gives his son what he asks for. He gives him what he asks for. Uh, But there's another even more shocking surprise, I think. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all this wealth from his father, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So you get the picture. This younger brother, he takes his inheritance and heads off. And what is he thinking? He's thinking, I'm free. I have loads of cash. No one to tell me what to do. I could do whatever I want. And so I think the really big surprise in this, in this parable, the first part of this parable, is this guy, he didn't go away thinking that, he didn't go away in order to get lost, right? He thought he was going away to find himself, to be free. But he's not free at all. He ends up utterly lost. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Get this, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So his world has fallen apart. Uh, His money has run out, and just like that, his friends disappear too. (laughs) It shows they're not actually his friends. He's a stranger in a foreign land. He's so desperate, he takes a dirty job looking after pigs, which is bad enough for anyone, but for a young Jewish boy, it's the bottom of the barrel. He is absolutely destitute and desperate. And, yeah, all the time he's been away in this far country, having fun with his so-called friends, he hasn't actually made one single real friendship, has he? Because he's got no one to help him. No one willing to even give him a bowl of pig slop. That's how desperate this guy is such a miserable scene and then in verse 17 almost in passing this beautiful line we're told he came to his senses he came to his senses have you ever had a moment like that where you you kind of wake up and you think i wake up i sleep i arise you think what am i doing i've made a huge mistake I'm going the wrong way. It's a picture that we're given here of what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance just means to turn around, to be going one way and to turn back to God, to recognise you're going the wrong way and turn back to God. And that's what this guy does. But it's sort of an incomplete thing at this point in the story. It's not really gospel good news repentance that this guy's doing. Um, See, once you've come to know Jesus, repentance is a joy because you know the character of the one you're turning back to if you come to know Jesus. But this guy, he still doesn't really know his father, does he? Uh, He doesn't know what kind of reception he'll get. The best he can hope for is that maybe his father might take him back as one of the hired servants, 
not one of the household sort of servants, but the hired guys who come in and out, at least then he'd be fed. At least he'd have some food to eat. So he starts this long walk home, and I reckon, I mean, what an agonising journey this man goes through, right? I reckon it would have been. It racked with regrets and anxiety. He's, I think he's imagining his father as kind of stern, arms folded, looking down on him in anger. He left his home rich and proud, and he's coming back with nothing but his need and his hunger and his shame. And he rehearses this speech um, in verse 18. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But look what happens next. All that shame, all that anxiety is wiped away in an instant. And this is, I think this is actually the real turning point in Jesus' parable, the real high moment, the moment everything changes. Verse 20, while he's still a long way off, his father sees him. His father sees him. It, and I think we're meant to pick up there. It's as if his father has been looking out for him the whole time, uh, waiting, searching the horizon for his son, not giving up on him. And the moment he sees his son, he's filled with anger, resentment, all the bitter memories of the ways his son has hurt him and brought shame to the family. No. He is filled with compassion for his son, for his lost child. Uh, if you've been with us through January, we've looked at a number of different parts of Luke's Gospel and we've seen this same word, compassion, come up a couple of times. It's this really strong, gut-wrenching, visceral feeling in your guts, stomach-churning pity. So friends, the father in this story is a picture of God. That's Jesus' point. The Father's a picture of God. And it's so interesting. Uh, so the other times, again, if you've been with us through January, the other times we've seen this compassion, this gut-wrenching mercy, it's been for people who've just found themselves in really tragic situations. So if you remember um, the woman, uh, the widow of Nain who lost her only son, tragic. Uh, the man who's um, uh, robbed the, by, at the side of the road, the, the, the Good Samaritan helps. Tragic situation, beaten up man. But what we're seeing here is something, I think, even more amazing about God's grace and his compassion. It's not just for people who happen to find themselves in a mess. It's for people who have caused the very mess they're in. This guy deserves what the mess he's in. He was so vile to his father. He's so self-centered. He has no one to blame but himself. But his father sees him a long way off. And he doesn't hold his selfishness and sin against him over his head. There's not even a hint of, I told you so. Not even a hint he is filled with compassion. 
Friends, I reckon sometimes people hold God at arm's length and don't come to him because they know deep down, maybe this is you, you know deep down the mess you've made of your life and you think that coming to God will just make you feel worse. You think of God basically as a stern, unforgiving master. And maybe, maybe that's because that's how we are in ourselves. Uh, that's how we would respond. We're so unlike this father, aren't we? We love things and people who are already lovely to us, you know, um, people who have kind of proved themselves to us. We cut toxic people out of our lives, right? That's the wisdom of the world. Um, I've shared this before, but I saw this great satirical news article a couple of years ago. Uh, the headline was, God decides to cut all toxic people out of his life, 7.5 billion dead. Uh, the first paragraph says, in a fresh start for the year, the Almighty recently decided to cut all the negative toxic people out of his life, several seraphim confirmed Wednesday, resulting in every single person on the planet perishing at once. <laughs> I mean, imagine if God treated people like we do. None of us would have any hope. But God loves the unlovely. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. So this father is filled with compassion for his lost and loveless son. And it's the same pattern we've seen also before. It's the same pattern. Remember that pattern that we've looked at a couple of times. He sees, he feels compassion, and then he acts. He acts. And what he does is incredible. Uh, in that society, a father in his position would never run. Like it was a big social taboo. You wouldn't run. Um, and you wouldn't show emotion in public either. But this father doesn't care about any of that. He hoiks up his robe, right? And he bolts it, he legs it as fast as he can to his son and crushes him in a big bear hug and weeps and laughs and kisses him. And this is wonderful. You know, the son tries to get his prepared speech out. And he only gets halfway through. Now, the father interrupts in verse 22, and he's, he just, he's just so happy his son's home. He calls for a robe and a ring and sandals and a feast. And he says in verse 24, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. <sighs> How are we going? Uh, there's one more big surprise, though, I think, in this story. I think there's one more big surprise. Alongside this joy and celebration, there's this seething anger that boils over. Um, the older brother has been in the background till now. We heard about him at the start, but in verse 25, he's out in the, in the fields while all this is happening. He hears the celebration, the dancing, the music. He asks one of the servants what's going on. In, and in verse 27, they tell him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. You know, kind of assuming that this is really good news. And it's like this, it's a spark that lights this fire of resentment in this older son that has been building for years. He is so angry, 
he refuses to go in. He refuses to join the feast. So his father goes out and pleads with him. Again, something not something that a father would typically do in that culture, but he, this father goes out and pleads with him. And look at how the older son responds in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not fair. I earned better. He deserves nothing. At which point we think, of course he deserves nothing. That's what grace is. But the older son... See what's going on. The older son has been physically close to his father the, all these years. He's been physically close to his father, but it turns out he is just as far from his father's heart. He is just as lost as the younger brother. See what he does? He's narrowed down his relationship to his father to rule-keeping. He's been slave. He, redu- he sees himself as a slave, and notice how he talked about his brother, this son of yours. So like he can't even bring himself to say, my brother. Friends, this is so important that we see what Jesus is saying. There are two ways of being lost in this story. There are, one is by rule breaking, that's the younger son, and the other is by rule keeping, that's the older brother. See what's going on? The older brother thinks he's owed a good life because he's been good. So he's furious at his father for showing grace towards his younger brother. He has this kind of joyless, slave-like compliance to his father, always obeying him, but building up this sense of entitlement and superiority in his heart. So it's a bit like this. Imagine a young 18-year-old young man who always did exactly what his parents told him. No questions asked, went and did the rubbish, uh, washed the dishes, made his bed. And, some, and the parents here are thinking, yes, please. <laughs> but, but imagine also, all the while, he's cold and distant, never having any moments of lightness or laughter. Uh, there's no relationship of trust or love. It's just duty and rule-keeping. So all, also, he can say later on, now you owe me, Dad. That would be a travesty, wouldn't it? No, no parent really wants that. These, the parents want a son, not a slave. They want warm relationship, not cold-hearted rule-keeping. And yet that's so often how we treat God, isn't it? We, we use rule-keeping, our own righteousness, as a way of actually keeping him at arm's length of keeping him in our debts. This is where it's important to remember who Jesus is talking to. Remember those two groups at the start? Uh, The sinners and tax collectors, and then the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious leaders. And can you see how he's written both of them into this story? He's written both of them into the story. These highly religious rule keepers are the older brother. Now, Obviously, it's right for sons to follow, for the sons in the story to follow their father's instruction. Jesus isn't saying here that it's, it's good to go off and be the prodigal son, 
the younger brother. But if you're obeying God as a slave earning a wage and not a child trusting your father, if you're holding on to your good works, holding them over God and saying, because I've done all this, you owe me, you'll just end up bitter. You'll end up angry when things don't go your way because you feel entitled. You won't like grace at all. And you're just as lost as the younger brother. In fact, I, the older brother's actually more lost than the younger brother because he doesn't think he's lost. He doesn't know he's lost. At least the younger brother came to his senses. But what's the answer for both of these brothers? For both of them, it's actually the same, isn't it? It's to come into the father's house. Not to stay in the far country, not even to stay on the doorstep in self-righteous pride. For both of them, the answer is to come to their senses, to come to their father, who celebrates lost children coming home. And that's how the story ends in verse 31. My son, see how tender this father is. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. And that's, I mean, he means that literally. He's already divided his property at the start of the story. So everything he has is actually his older sons. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We had to celebrate. The father's saying here, if you knew me, you'd know that my joy at your brother's return is totally unsurprising. Of course, of course I celebrate my lost son coming home. My friends, this story is often called the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Um, I had to look up the word prodigal. It means wastefully extravagant. Wastefully extravagant. And so, I mean, that's a good description of the younger son, right? He wastes all the money he's got. Wastefully extravagant. But can you see how it's also a really good description of this father? God is wastefully extravagant in his compassion and forgiveness and grace to his children. And we know that. We know that because of Jesus. He's the true son who was of one mind and one heart with the Father, who was sent by the Father and willingly came to this world to bring back his lost brothers and sisters, to pay the price for their rebellion at the cross, to open a way for them to come back to the Father. That's what Malena and Zane have experienced and testified to today. Praise the Lord. Amen. They have come home to the prodigal God. They were lost, but they've been found. They were dead in sin, but have been made alive in Christ by his spirit. And we have to celebrate, don't we? <laughs> we have, that is what today is about. But that same welcome is extended to you. That same welcome is held out to you. So, I don't know, maybe you feel like the younger son kind of too far gone 
for God. Maybe you feel like you're a bit more like the older brother. Maybe you can see you've been relying on your own righteousness, your own self-righteousness, and perhaps today God's Spirit is humbling you to see just how lost you really are, how your righteous words works are as filthy rags before God, but how he offers to clothe you with Christ's righteous robe and pull you into his bear hug and bring you into his feast, make you his child. So friends, we're going to sing a song, sort of a song, I think an appropriate one for us to respond to this word today. Uh, and I want to encourage you to make it your prayer, uh, wherever you're at. Um, and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus who reveals the Father. You come to him, you, you come to the Father. He says, come to me, all who are, heavy, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you can come to him. The words of the song go like this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we are in awe of your prodigal love your extravagant grace that you pour out on us. We don't deserve it. We deserve the opposite. But in your kindness and mercy, you have showered us with forgiveness and love and mercy through the gospel, through Jesus. Bring back your lost children, we pray. Thank you for calling Malena and Zane to yourself. Thank you that we celebrate today with them we pray that all today might see something new and more of your wonderful welcome and your grace and come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.